come from Earth, a planet of outlaws. My name is Peter Quill. There's one other name you might know me by. Star-Lord. Who? Well, Star-Lord, man. Legendary outlaw. Guys? Forget it. be the best idea. Hi, Robert. 
Um, I'm excited to talk about this. We did a little bit of this yesterday on the Whiskey Rebellion, uh, Gavin and I, but I, I really tried to keep it solely solely focused on um, comparing it to uh, Star Wars. So I'm anxious to actually get really into deep into the movie tonight and uh, discuss the good, the bad, and the Groot. Ah, uh, the Groot. <laughs> All right. So this movie, Guardians of the Galaxy, made, what, $94 million? Uh, something like that, yeah. I know it was like $90 million by the time Sunday hit, so uh, I'm sure it's made a little bit more since then. Uh, I mean, come on, did anyone predict this? I mean, general expectations from what I had heard, what I had read, were, what, 60 to 70, give or take? I mean, considering yeah, I that know. when you launched Iron Man, when you launched Captain America, when you launched Thor, the kind of, you know, well-ish known but unproven movie draws, that those were the numbers you got. Now, yeah, here we yeah, have got, an, ob- an obscure I got comic. your numbers for you. Okay, thank Hang on, you. I got your numbers. As of, as of August 6th, Guardians of the Galaxy has earned $118 million in North America and $66.4 million in other countries for a worldwide total of... Ba-da-da-da-da-da. $184.4 million American. American. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, this is a monumental success from a financial, from a critical standpoint. I've heard of one bad review that you informed me of when we were waiting to start this show. And, so, and that guy didn't like The Lion King, so what the fuck does he know? Probably didn't like Toy Story three either. I mean, yeah, some people. Hang on, let me let me read this to you because I mean we are talking when you are talking in terms of level of financial success. Never mind critical uh, success. You know what what did the critics think? Was this a well put together movie? Because we'll talk about that too. But just from a um, did the profitability pig uh, bear fruit or pork as uh, as it were? <laughs> North America. Guardians of the Galaxy earned $11.2 million from Thursday night showings, which surpassed Captain America the Winter Soldier's gross of $10.2 million for the biggest Thursday evening start for a movie in 2014. IMAX accounted for 17% of the total gross with $1.9 million, which is the second biggest August pre-release in IMAX format behind Iron Man 3. On its opening day, the film earned $26.6 million for a total of $37.8 million, including the Thursday night earnings. Guardians of the Galaxy was the number one movie during its opening weekend and grossed $94.3 million, topping the Bourne Ultimatum's record of $69.3 million for the highest weekend debut in August. Its debut weekend gross was the third biggest of 2014 behind Transformers Age of Extinction, $100 million, and Captain America the Winter Soldier, $95 million. So there you go. Obviously, this thing made money. Oh, and it's going to make a fair amount of money, and I'm, I couldn't be more happy. I, I went to see this on Friday with my brother, and I enjoyed every, almost every minute of this movie from start to finish. It doesn't feel like it's as long as it is. I enjoy the characterizations in general. It's a well-constructed narrative. I, uh, anything I say negative is nitpicking, and I will do a little bit of that here because that's part of the fun of doing these things. But I, you've mentioned this on the Whiskey Rebellion last night, and you've mentioned it before, that this is the, one of the first times 
probably this season that you've been able to go to a movie and just enjoy yourself and have the benefit of having a well-constructed logical plot to go along with it. Yeah, l- l- let's discuss that for just a minute. Um, I mentioned this last night, and it bears repeating. Um, for my money, without having the benefit of seeing The Expendables 3 in two weeks, a little less than two weeks, um, Guardians of the Galaxy was the best movie of the summer. Because when I think about summer movies, you know, school's out. Not that that's really relevant to me. I work full time. But, um, you know, school's out for summer. It's all about celebration and barbecues and block parties and having fun. And, it, you know, and part of the summer experience is the summer blockbuster. Alien ships flying overhead, blowing up the White House. Massive uh, natural disasters destroying cities left and right. Alien invasions, that sort of thing. Okay? This is what we've come to expect from the summer. So, and, and with that comes a lot of fun. It's fun to watch the unbridled destruction of everything you've ever known and loved by aliens or some other uh, being captured on film for two hours. That, that's where we're going. You know, who didn't go to see, who didn't go to Independence Day? To see, am I dating myself with that, with that reference? Who didn't no, go not see at Independence, all. <laughs> who didn't go see Independence Day with the expectation of just watching two hours of shit blowing up? Um, that's where you go, right? So, that's why I one went. Of the about why that, I still yeah. watch it every 4th of July. <laughs> that's right. So, part, so, the funny thing about this summer was there were a lot of great movies, but the tone... The tenor for a lot of these movies was so serious. I mean, when you consider um, what was the, you know, the, the moral of the story behind Captain America, the Winter Soldier, was you have this uh, government or you know, this hero organization completely overwhelmed by evil spies on the inside, such to the point that Captain America had to take it down in total. When you look at Days of Future Past, that was a grim frickin' story. Uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, again, is a grim story. You know, so for the first time uh, this entire summer blockbuster season, I had two hours of just unbridled fun. I smiled from ear to ear for the entire length of the picture. I laughed out loud at something that was not necessarily a comedy. And I, uh, it was the most pleasurable movie experience of the summer, and, and, and you know, I was one of those few people who didn't think Spider-Man was was a, was a gay suck fest. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I I didn't think it was gay pornography. I just didn't. Um, but uh, you know, but it, 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 he, they still kill Gwen. Spoiler alert: They still kill Gwen Stacy at the end of the movie. That whole last sequence, trying to save her, is depressing. So, like I said, there was none of that in Guardians of the Galaxy. It was just a celebration of fun at the movies, which we don't get anymore in the age of Nolan. Where's the trigger, Robert Winfrey? Where is it? Sorry, I I have to say that now every time. I'm aware of your contractual mandate to repeat that ad nauseum until someone inevitably forces (laughs) you to stop doing it. It won't be me. Someone eventually... Someone's going to, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to say, where's the trigger one too many times? And Christopher Nolan's going to walk, going to find my house, hand me a trigger and say, now stop it. 
<laughs> Entirely possible. Yes. All right. But, again, this movie... Let me say this. For something as fun as this movie wound up being, it starts off, like, deliberately with just a bunch of emotional manipulation to get you to cry in the first ten minutes, and then transitions <laughs> into being fun. Look, don't get me wrong. I'm not a heartless bastard. So... The side of a poor eight-year-old kid by the side of his mother who's dying of cancer, yeah, I, there's an emotional response there that anyone but a cynical teenager or a sociopath is probably going to feel. And there's a strong overlap between those two categories, by the way. And it, just, it transitions from that into just being a lot of fun. So I wanted to ask you, Mark, the opening scene where we get Star-Lord uh, Peter Quill abducted is that what did you find that to be I mean not a jarring tonal shift from that to the follow-up sequence of him walking through to, of him you know kind of air dancing his way towards stealing the orb but did you so was that jarring for you or was that kind of the right amount of shift in tone from serious to uh, providing a serious backdrop so that we know this is not just an, a stupid comedy no, I thought the balance was about right. Um, I actually liked the way they did it, because normally they start a Marvel movie with the Marvel logo, the Marvel Studios logo. And this one, they went right into that entire... By the way, was that James Caan who was the grandfather? No. It looked like James Caan to me. A little bit it does. No, that's someone else, uh, whose face I've seen several times, but whose name I could not possibly tell you. That's not James Caan, huh? No, not James Conn. I will see if I can okay, find well, it. Well, not, uh, that whole sequence there with not James Conn, um, you know, they, they did it all before the Marvel logo. And I thought that was actually well-paced in, in the sense of they just throw you right into this. And the thing of it is is that you go into the movie expecting it to be a space adventure, you know, with a talking tree that says, I am Groot, and, you know, and, and a gun-toting talking raccoon and all of this, you know, and goofy aliens and stuff. So... You know, you're immediately it captures your attention because it starts off on Earth, um, and and this could have been out of uh, you know any any story uh, made for women. You know, you've just got you've got a kid <laughs> listening to a Walkman, um, you know, and and the mother saying you know bring me my son and, and you know give me your hand and he won't do it because he's freaking out, you know, and then he runs out of the hospital because she's because she's just died. And, you know, it's, yeah, it was, um, it was your not, it was not your typical Marvel uh, beginning. And then the movie began. And I felt like it was, um, I don't know if necessary evil is the right term, but I do uh, feel like... It, as it was, a brief aside, the actor who plays the grandpa is Greg Henry, a classic supporting actor who does bit parts all the time. He will be forever known on the Rattlers and Broadcasting Network as not James Caan. Um, I approve yeah, of this. So... So um, yeah, I because, because they broke it up with the Marvel logo and, every, and the credits and everything else, and then a, sort of a slow uh, a slow build into the the orb stealing scene, I was okay with it. it. It didn't really bother me at all. I felt like it had to be there. You had to have some you know to set up the Walkman, the importance of it, to tell you who this guy was and all of that. <coughs> 
they had to do that. They had to do that sequence. It had to be there. There was no getting around it. And I'm glad they put it there and not in a flashback later on in the movie. Uh, I'm so glad there was not a flashback. That would have just... That would have been unpleasant. I'm not a huge fan of flashbacks in general, but I liked it because it provided the whole movie with a bit of emotional gravitas. This is not, again, Iron Man, for example, where everything winds up okay. Look, Iron Man tends to be big, shiny things, Tony Stark learns a lesson, and there's very little actual, like emotional attachment to anything that tends to go on in any of those movies. He, I don't think he's ever lost anything. Like, he, he only lost his lost... house in three. Yeah. That's about I was say, well, I don't know, sorry, when a billionaire loses their house, I tend not to cry for thee. Um, you know, like, I yeah. don't, like, but that's the thing. I don't think there's, like, Tony's ever really gone through, like, the most emotional, most tragic thing Tony experienced was in The Avengers, and that was almost dying. Yeah, and and there was a little bit of exploration of that in the third one, but they sort of wrapped it around his, you know, post-death anxiety. Um, Again, there was there's no having to deal with life after, let's say, you know, Pepper dying or something along those lines. So I see what you're saying. The mother dying lended lended the movie uh, a tone, an underlying tone that I thought was. that I thought kept it grounded because it was because this movie was could be dangerously close to floating off into silly land, and it never does that. It somehow manages for a for a um, a space odyssey to stay fairly well grounded. I thought. Yeah, I. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I'll go ahead and run through a brief plot synopsis here. We follow uh, primarily Star Lord Jason Quill. Again, as we just discussed, abducted from Earth by uh, the great Michael Rooker. Uh, to any fans of The Walking Dead out there, if this is what Merle can do with one arrow, I demand in Guardians 2, Blue Daryl with a crossbow. I'll just throw that out you know, there. You know, for the longest time in that movie, I thought that was Woody Harrelson. <laughs> no, Michael Rooker. But uh, there, there's some similarities there. I can, I can see where you'd be confused. Yeah, well, he was all blue and had a weird mohawk. You know, I was a little confused, but go ahead. But we follow him as he steals an orb. Uh, He winds up not selling it with Michael Rooker, the aforementioned uh, leader of the Ravagers, a group of space mercenaries. He tries to sell it on his own. This orb is desired by Ronan the Accuser, who wants to give it to Thanos, who who will then destroy Xandar for... uh, Ronan the Accuser, because there's a thousand years of enmity between the Kree Empire and the Xandarians, and he will not accept the peace treaty. Amazing how the stupidity of humans, as far as things this go, is so universal and can be applied to anyone. Just saying. (laughs) Uh, So he sends Gamora, one of Thanos' daughters, to retrieve it. We meet Rocket and Gru, two are bounty hunters, and Yondu, again, Michael Rooker has put a bounty on his head. They all get arrested on Xandar, they escape, they take the orb, uh, uh, Gamora, it turns out, is trying to betray Ronan and escape from the clutches of Thanos, because he's crazy and evil. They try to sell the orb, which actually contains an Infinity Stone to the Collector, played by Benicio Del Toro, that goes poorly. 
it gets taken by Ronan. They have their big moment of, no, we're going to be the Guardians of the Gap. We have to actually do that. We can't let this happen. Big climactic showdown. They wind up killing Ronan, giving the stone to the Nova Corps, who will keep it safe, theoretically. And then they fly off into the sunset with the assertion that, you know, we might do good things, but we're still criminals. So there's, there's going to be some fun along the way. Did I miss anything yes. of great import? Yes, Drax's introduction. But by, by, right, by the way, you told that story. By the way, you told that I story. Drax never appears in the movie. He could have been cut. I'm just saying. Okay, yeah. On the after they're all arrested on Xandar, they are transported to the floating prison known as the Kiln, where we meet Drax the Destroyer, who wishes to kill Ronan the Accuser for killing his family. Uh, Star-Lord convinces him not to kill Gamora because Ronan will come after Gamora, so if he sticks near her, Ronan will show up, and then he can kill him. And that's kind of where... And he's obsessed with killing Ronan. And he tags along with them. And again, and some people, specifically Gavin Napier, are just enthralled with the performance of Batista's Drax. And while fun, I think I err more on your side in that and I heard a little bit of this last night, so you might have to explain to the rest of the people where you're coming from here, but I did not think he was a big enough presence. He's no. supposed to be someone who is going to take on Thanos, and Ronan the Accuser summarily kicked his ass. Yeah. I, I really felt like, um, you know, Drax the Destroyer was supposed to be built up as, you know, this maniac... Uh, this, you know, gigantic, you know, he's supposed to be like on par with the Hulk and he gets, you know, and he just gets the beat down in the middle of the movie. And I was like, okay, so what is the point of Drax? I mean, when you think about like what the characters all did, what did Drax accomplish in this movie? I, I, at some point, you know, when, when they're fighting at the end, you know, he, you know, he, he beats up a couple of people. You know, and he shows his medal then. But I don't think Drax really added anything to the team overall. Um, I felt like uh, Groot and Rocket and obviously uh, Quill and even um, uh, Gamora all had things to do in the movie, all added something to the team that made them, that allowed them to accomplish their goal. And in a, you know, and in a, in a team full of comic presence, that was all kind of Drax did was sort of supply um, comedy relief at times, you know, in a, in a dry, witless way. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and well, I, I feel like Batista handled it just fine. You know, it was like, okay, just j- be Alleginis, just read the lines straight um, with no sense of irony at all. And it'll come off the way it should. And that, so like Batista's performance was good, but I felt like the character wasn't used very well. He was just there. Well, hopefully he'll get a little more to do in the next one. Hopefully. So, let's go ahead and just kind of run this down. Your favorite thing about this movie, if you had to kind of just zero in on one thing. Um, a, a bit of a repeat from last night. It made, it made me hearken back to Star Wars. It was a fun and exciting roller coaster romp through space in a fully realized sci-fi fantasy world. For two hours, I forgot my problems. I forgot 
the, the world around me, and I was totally immersed in this world when I was with the characters. Um, I don't really get that with a lot of movies these days. Um, you know, I find myself thinking about this and that, and you know, I'm following the story and everything, and I'm interested. But this was really the first time in a long time where I got completely sucked up into uh, a universe other than my own. And it's funny because my wife asks me all the time, she'll say, you know, what is it about uh, the Lord of the Rings movies or Star Wars that makes you so seemingly obsessed with them? And I say, because for the little bit of time that they're on, um, I want to be in those worlds. They're, they're so, they're, they're so uh, complete, and they, they've brought me over the years so much joy that uh, for just that little bit of time, not, not forever, but just for a little bit of time, I want to be in those worlds. And I think that sometimes the failure, like, you know, Spider-Man 2, the, the Amazing Spider-Man, you know, there's nothing about that world that's seemingly different than, than my own, other than, you know, a superhero happens to exist there, and I watch him do his thing, and then I wish him good luck, and I'll see you in two or three years. Whereas with Guardians of the Galaxy, Lord of the Rings, and Star Wars, I find myself being drawn to want to go back to those worlds and feel like it's, you know, it feels like it's a real place, even though obviously it's a fictional place. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and run down the cast here real quick. Uh, just because there's a few things I want to talk, I want to make sure we get to well, before we wrap up as far on, as we do that, where they're that, going. Does that make, does that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. Okay. Oh, uh, absolutely perfect sense. I, that's one of the reasons I read a lot. And I, there mm-hmm. are certain styles of books and certain series in particular that I can reread and I can just completely get lost in. And those are the best kind. I mean, I suppose the same is true for movies. There are some that I've seen that you can just forget everything else around you and place yourself within this fictional setting for however long you're going to be there. And it's a just... It's not easy to do. I mean, it sounds, it's one of those things that is not the easiest thing in the world to do. I mean, world construction, constructing your own universe is ridiculously difficult from a, just a writing perspective, much less a presentation one for something like a film. Can I, can, let me say this before we get into the cast. Um, another Star Wars comparison, but in this case, uh, I'm going st- to stick with, stri- with the sequel. Because last night, what I was trying to get across to Gavin was this felt like the 77 film. Um, but uh, for what I'm about to say, I have to talk about the prequels. For some odd reason, because George Lucas is, is an autistic um, child. Heaven help us know, if George, George Lucas and Michael Bay ever decide to make a movie together. I don't, it, would be, it would be unwatchable. Um, it, it, it would be it would be used for torture for you know to try to extract information out of terrorists. Um, the, the, if you watch the prequels, George Lucas seemed to have in his mind that not Earth means everyone has a posh British British accent, that everyone has to talk like they're in the Queen's court, and he didn't seem to understand like accents other than. Um, some of the aliens would have particularly... Well, you have the uh, Mexican gonna, alien. Well, I was going to say... Who's, in, you, who's you the know, slave owner? Let's see. People always went Half with Half the Asian there. bugs. <laughs> right. And then everyone else is British. I was going to say, you know, so it's like all of the human beings in, in the prequel movies all talk, 
talk with a posh British accent, and then the aliens had some sort of semi-racist, you know, ridiculous... The lone exception being Anakin Skywalker, who we desperately wished had his jaw wired shut. Yeah, he just sounds like a whiner. Um, What I liked about Guardians of the Galaxy is it assumed people will talk, you know, more or less the same anywhere in the universe, and... Um, not everything has to be so wildly out there. You know, you could, you could have humanoid people that are just different colors. You know, slight variations on a theme, but ultimately, you know, that, I think that's one of the things I liked about it was the, uh, the, the Zandarians, all, regardless of whether or not they were pink or normal colored or blue, um, all sounded like people. You know, Glenn Close sounded like a person. Um, uh, John Riley, is that his name? John C. Riley. Yeah. John C. Riley sounded like a regular person. Uh, and I loved his line at the end. I'm like, I have a family, and they'd be dead right now if it wasn't, wasn't for you. That was great. They should still be dead because there was a ship traveling towards them. It was blown up. They're still shrapnel. Sorry. Sorry. Space <laughs> movie. Try um, not to focus you know, on the fact that, hey, stormtroopers have armor that doesn't work, and lasers don't actually glow in space because there's nothing to conduct the ener- There's no light source conducting the energy. Sorry. Again, this is stuff I've thought about in the past and need to stop. So, um, yeah, I just want to say this. That's what makes like a movie like Guardians of the Galaxy superior than all of the prequels, obviously. <laughs> you know, because they just let the universe exist and there wasn't this notion of um, they all have to sound like characters from Lord of the Rings, only badly done. So I just wanted to put that out there. All right. I don't disagree with you at all. Having people just kind of be people, and some have different accents and whatnot, but there's no, but like, there's no uniformity to it. It's just, it is a nice thing. So let's go yeah. ahead and start at the top here. Chris Pratt as Star-Lord. Chris Pratt's greatest claim to fame prior to this movie was being on one of the banes of my existence in the form of Parks and Recreation. Because I hey, hate the, sitcoms, you... I hate comedy, and I hate anything that has ever involved Amy Poehler or Tina Fey. Hey, did you hear the Big Bang Theory is going back into production that the main stars got their raise that they wanted? Isn't that wonderful? I don't, I don't care. <laughs> Look, my grandparents love that movie and insist that I am like Sheldon Cooper. Now, I will freely admit there's a chance I've got a mild form of Asperger's syndrome, which is clearly what that poor bastard has. Oh, yeah. Mine allows me to be the undisputed champion of the Kevin Bacon game. His allows him to do complex mathematical equations. Yours also allows you to be the undisputed king of anything involving munitions and guns. It's a side Fact, benefit. I'm telling you, you should, your theme music should be Knights of Rebs joining the chant. And everywhere you go, you should just hear guns, 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 guns. Fire, fire, fire. Woo! You were saying? All right. So, moving on from my dislike of that and <laughs> all of that fun stuff, but Chris Pratt has to kind of carry the movie. I mean, don't get me wrong. Zoe Saldana is perfectly acceptable, by and large. Batiste is there for some comic relief, and you have a couple of CGI'd guys. A lot of this falls on his shoulders, and it's to his immense credit that he does not buckle under that weight, given that he has never been in that position before. Do you know he's why he's successful? Do you know why he go, was successful? I'm gonna. I uh, want. I want to finish what you're saying. Go ahead and tell but me. But I got to get this out there. 
the reason why Chris Pratt, I can sum this up in one sentence. The reason why Chris Pratt was successful in being able to helm this movie and keep it all on his shoulders and him come across as a likable hero is he didn't turn in the kind of performance that Ryan Reynolds would have. This wasn't Van Wilder presents Guardians of the Galaxy. Like it was Van Wilder presents Green Lantern. I hate Ryan Reynolds. I really do. (laughs) Gavin's going to be mad at you. But no, I mean, Chris Pratt was successful because he, he showed some vulnerability you know, he wasn't just the, you know, the winking ladies man. I mean, obviously he does that sort of thing. I mean, they have him with the girl in the beginning. I didn't know you were on the ship. And, I forgot you, know, he, you were it, here. Can't remember yeah. her name, and he forgot she was there. You know, and then he's, um, you know, he's trying you, to sex man, me up. Was uh, it was one time, <laughs> man. Yeah, so so they made you know they made him a man whore, which is fine. Um, you know that that sort of thing can, tends to happen when you've got uh, all kinds of dysfunction going on mentally. But but they did it without making him um, a kind of sleazy that Ryan Reynolds does so well in every movie he's ever been in, whether it be waiting Ryan Reynolds playing or, Ryan Reynolds, or the, or the one with Sandra Bullock. You know, it's always the same thing. It's you know. It's it's that smirking at the camera, hey, I'm kind of sexy, you know, uh, and uh, without even trying, kind of a thing. That's that you don't get that from Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt see, seems to have other stuff going on in this movie besides, hey, I'm kind of sexy in the pants. And well, that's why I thought like, from like you mentioned, he displays vulnerability. There's the scenes wherein he has to turn off the you know kind of goofy man whore charm and actually. And display some of the emotional trauma he's been through are not forced. They're very organic, and he comes across as very natural. Like, no, this is a guy who actually did does have to live with forever, apparently, with the guilt of not taking his mother's hand on her deathbed. Right, and he and um, he bears scene, it, but it's still there. Another scene I really liked, and it could have gone really badly, but when the um, one of the prison guards is listening to the Walkman. And he freaks out and is like, hey, that's my Walkman. And he does something insanely dumb. You know, he charges in there. And in other movies, he would have turned into, you know, Jason Bourne. <laughs> so he'd, yeah. he'd have kicked that guy's ass eight ways from Sunday and, you know, ran through the walls uh, with his Walkman in hand. And we would have been like, oh, boy, he's Superman. No, instead he got a beat down like the guy, like he owed the guy money. And I loved it. I, I love that. They allowed their hero to suffer so that later on he could be, you know, when he's successful, we'll all cheer him. The mistake a lot of uh, filmmakers make is that they, they make their heroes into Superman. And why is Superman boring? Because he, he's never vulnerable. Superman's the most interesting in things like injustice because, at least emotionally, for once, he's vulnerable. So that's one of the things I liked about Chris Pratt's portrayal of uh, Peter Quill. All right, next going down the list, uh, Zoe Saldana as Gamora. Serviceable. Let me say this, as far as she goes. Zoe Saldana has kind of quietly become one of the most believable female action stars going around today. And I say quietly because apparently nobody saw Colombiana, where she was an assassin, but she was, the fem- she was one of the leads in Avatar, where she was all motion-captured. Now she's covered in green uh, makeup. 
but when she's when she's in her fight sequences or doing the ac- doing the action shots, it's believable. And I don't know how much of that is stunt work or not, so don't quote me on that. But her stuff is a, is very believable. She comes across as okay. Maybe she's not really a match for Drax, all things considered, but. Under the right circumstances, she's a very... I believe she could kick some ass. Now, she can't seem to act through the makeup, which is a huge detriment that a lot of actors today have, and something that I and Sean Comer, and I believe you as well, have complained about from time to time. Because you have to know how to act with the makeup instead of fight it the whole time. But... I had no I have no complaints about her in this particular role and it could have been miscast rather badly. So I I'm fine with that. Yeah. Your thoughts? Um, I I thought uh, her performance I thought this was a better performance and I thought they gave her more stuff to do and I thought she had a more well-rounded character than um her Mary Stewart character from uh Star Trek. I really hate her character in the new Star Trek movies, you know, where they're giving her things to do because it's, it's 2014 and black people have to have more. You have to give black people more. It's not fair. Damn it. It's not fair. Robert Winfrey. So they give her things to do and, and, and they give her character traits that are forced and don't really fit into the narrative that they're telling. Um, here, you know, they gave her a character. She acted the character well. She, you know, it was absolutely serviceable. And I thought her, um, I thought her chemistry with the other characters in the in the main part of the group um, was, was good. I was entertained by it, and I'm curious to see what more they do with her going forward. All right, the shining star, as far as I'm concerned, the combination of Bradley Cooper's voice acting and the beautiful animation of Rocket Raccoon. This guy was absolutely my favorite part of the whole movie. And please, Marvel, Disney, whoever's listening, whatever unpaid intern for the movie studio is listening to this, do not do a solo Rocket Raccoon movie. Don't do it. (laughs) No. I love the character. He's a fun character, but he works best in a group setting where there's others for him to play off of, where there's other stuff for him to do, and we can get a breather from him. If you want another example of how poorly this goes, take a look at what happens when you turn Captain Jack Sparrow into the star of the Pirates movies. There's a distinct drop in quality because he works best as not a supporting role because the character is kind a of... Foil. Yeah, he's he a foil. He's a Harlequin character. Right. So don't, don't give me a solo Rocket Raccoon movie. I'm begging you, just don't do it. He's fine where he is. But I had such... I got such a kick out of this character. I mean, apparently his desire for prosthetic limbs. Which (laughs) got probably the the two biggest laughs I got out of this whole movie were... The first time I saw it when he gets... When he brings in the leg, he says, Oh, no, I was kidding about that. I just need these two things. What? Well, why not? I thought it'd be funny. I had to transfer 30,000 units. Well, come on, did he look funny hopping around? (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I, I had a good laugh at that. As I said last night. Well, and, at the when, end, uh, and when they're making their final plan, he goes, and I need that guy's eye. No, no, we don't need your eye. Oh, come on, I want it. It's important to me. <laughs> yeah, he, um, Bradley Cooper, who I'm not a huge fan of, uh, I, you know, again, another one, another smirking sexy pants in the, um, in the Hangover movies. Uh, I loved him as Rocket Raccoon. I thought, to me, he was the highlight. He was the highlight and star of the movie. Um, he had the funniest lines. He had the most interesting backstory. Um, you know, in as far as I, I love that scene. It was. It came out of left field too. You know, like I, I started to laugh when he was going. I didn't ask to be born, and then I'm suddenly realizing, like, oh, this is the character having a freakout moment. And hey, I, and I kind of dead serious. <laughs> yeah. And it took me a minute to catch on to that. But, uh, yeah, his interplay with uh, Vin Diesel's Groot was, <laughs> was great. And, and to your point, for the love of Christ, no buddy cop movie with Groot and Rocket Raccoon. Leave them in a Guardians of the Galaxy movie, and that's it. <laughs> Do not give them their own series, their own yeah. comic book, nothing. Please keep them as part of the group. But... Um, yeah, I, I, I said this last night, and I'll say it again. When he said, oh, uh, or get that first, and we'll just improvise. I, <laughs> <laughs> the delivery on that line was so funny to me. I, you know, I, I had one of those, like, guffaws where the guy next to me was like, mm, what are you doing? But I, I thought it was great. Funny. It was, watching him in the, watching Groot in the background just walk up to that tower as <laughs> Rocket is sitting there going, that's the most heavily fortified thing there is. We have to get it last. And he's yanking on it like, oh, boy. Right. Nobody sees him doing it. Um, I enjoyed the tension between him and uh, Quill. I thought that's really the glue that kept, that, that, that kept the whole group together was – you have uh, you have Quill, who's just sort of bumbling his way through leader of this thing, and then there's Rocket Raccoon, who's really making him earn it. But the other thing I liked about Rocket was he, you know, as I said before, like Drax was kind of a do-nothing. You know, he, uh, he had one role in this, and that was to be the Hulk, and he fucked it up. So, you know, if anything, he did more damage to the group than anything else. But um, Rocket actually added to the group. He, you know, he was able to do mechanical things. He built weapons. He built you know, a bomb. He, uh, he could blow up a moon. Yeah. So there <laughs> and was he left all it lying around. Going on. <laughs> there was all kinds of stuff going on with Rocket that he added another dimension to the group, and, um, and he made it work. And I love the Rocket Raccoon character, and I look forward to him in the next movie. All right. Uh, real briefly, since we've got to kind of run through these, um, Vin Diesel with his awesome voice and the best performance of his career. Aha, my little jab there. As Groot, when you only have three words, well, four by the end, but you have three words, you have one line that you have to deliver over and over and make it seem different. Uh, credit to Vin Diesel and whoever was voice directing him. Though Vin Diesel has actually a pretty impressive voice acting resume. I, I, so I love like Groot. My favorite thing with Groot is when he stabs all of the soldiers in the chest and swings them back. I love <laughs> turns around, smile. Anyone who's ever owned a dog and watched them kill something and then turn and look at you—that's the look you get. Yeah, 
<laughs> I had a dog who would dig up moles in the backyard. Toss them in the air, catch them on the way down, shake them up, and then if you saw me watching him, he'd turn and look and smile like that. Right. The other thing, you know, like why are you do, you know, Rock Raccoon sort of beseeching him to, you know, why are you doing this? And you're going to die, and, and Groot just says, we are Groot. And I actually teared up a bit. You know, just a little like, bit, yeah. Um, All right. Uh, love, Batista's Drax was serviceable. We about him. We did. Yeah. So, serviceable. I feel the character was not handled properly, and let's be clear, Drax is not a great character to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. yeah uh, I, I, to, to the unpaid uh, intern listening to this at, at Marvel, I know they're working on a Guardians of the Galaxy 2. You have to give him a big ass kicking scene. There has to be a scene where, like, the entire Guardians of the Galaxy are ready to fight, and Drax just goes into maniac mode and, like, just annihilates everybody in the room before anyone else can get a shot off, and they're just standing there, look, you know, jaws agape. You have to give Drax one scene where he's an ass-kicking monster or why even have him on the team. Leave him on Jupiter. Otherwise, he's useless. So, you know, I know there wasn't a lot of time for that in this movie. He had to, you know, for, to move the plot forward, he kind of had to ha- get his ass kicked by Ronan. Um, but you got to give me more supposed to go toe-to-toe with Thanos. You got to right. do better so, building your, your character here. Right, you gotta have you know show him punching a watcher or something. I don't know, but he's gotta you gotta give me more Drax, and you gotta make him look like one dangerous motherfucker. All right, uh, Lee Pace is Ronan the Accuser. If I have a gripe with this movie, it's that I don't feel we got enough time with the villain, and I um, enjoyed his take. And don't get me wrong, this is a minor gripe, extraordinarily minor. So everyone out there, don't. Nobody tear me to shreds. I'm admitting this is a minor gripe. But Lee Pace, as kind of the religious, so to speak, zealot in Ronan the Accuser, when he's on screen, is, ki- is fairly captivating. And I wouldn't have minded a little more of him. So that's my minor gripe. But I enjoyed the character uh, that he played. And again, it's not that that character is necessarily all that difficult to do. It's difficult to play that character and have the audience believe that other people would follow him. And when done properly, it's really great. When done not so properly, everyone looks kind of stupid. And he did it pretty well. I felt like there were a lot of balls in the air in this movie, and um, they would have been a runtime issue if we had had more time with Ronan the Q. It's kind of what we were talking about with Transformers. Where do you cut and where do you add? Well, if you're going to add... Uh, more more Ronan the Accuser, which I don't disagree with. So they could have used a little bit more. I felt like um, he was sort of an underutilized character who was supposed to be the main villain. Um, then you run the risk of extending your runtime and starting to bore your audience, or you have to cut from somewhere. And where were you supposed to cut with this movie? You know, you had the movie's goal was to establish um, five characters, plot, and introduce you to a whole of the universe. I mean, there was a lot going on in this movie. Not only do yeah. you have Ronan the Accuser, but you have the Nova Corps, you have Thanos, you know, you have the Ravagers. There was a yeah, lot I, going on. You, the Collector. Yeah. I mean, if, I mean, if anyone... I was going to say, if anyone got short shrift in this movie, it was the Collector. It was like, oh, they absolutely. showed up, 
and then you have no idea why the servant was blowing up his uh, his his. his, uh, his well, house. she didn't want to be his slave anymore. She was just desperate to not be a slave. And yeah, and, and, yeah. I mean, and I get that. I get all that. But I mean, it just it, it came out of left field, and because oh, it was it did and. The Collector as a character is actually very interesting. I mean, I was more... In, I felt he came off better in his, you know, minute-long post credit scene in Thor 2 than he did in this one. I agree. Yeah, I was really excited to see that he was in the movie, and then I saw, like, basically what he did, and it was like, oh, well, that was a letdown. He's here to explain <laughs> about the Infinity Stones. Now, I'll right. give you a moment for your Tom Bombadil rant, but does it bother you that the purple Infinity Stone is not teleportation and is instead have the ability to destroy things? Um, I will tell you that, well, it's been a long time since I've read the Infinity Gauntlet, and I know the, 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 the things did different, the stones did different things. Um, I feel like Marvel has decided that, you know, that between the Tesseract, the Ether, and now this purple stone, it was like they all seem to be able to blow up the universe. Like, well, they it, all do it, different it, it, things. Which I, I, which I, I just, imagine we'll get more into in the next Guardians movie when I believe Thanos will be collecting the stones. That's what I think the next Guardians of the Galaxy movie is going to be. Um, regardless, yeah, I, don't, I feel like Marvel, you know, because they've got, they had other balls in the air, and you know, to the mass audience out there, nobody gives a shit what the Infinity Stones do. So it's <laughs> kind of like, they're a, they all blow up the universe, okay? That's all you really need to know. They're really powerful, and, and they're different colors. So, you know, like, I didn't, I didn't focus on it too much. I didn't really think about it. Oh, I don't um, care in the least if you screw with the color of a stone. Right. As far as that goes. I mean, I was just going to say, this is where, you know, I imagine there are some, there might be some comic fans out there going, where's Tom Bombadil? It's, oh, I'm sure there is. I mean, yeah, well, I, we don't have a lot of time to get into this, but I mean, no, this whole but, summer we've heard criticisms about certain movies because... You know, Bishop's powers don't work that way and blah, blah, yakety schmackety. So, moving on. All right, uh, real briefly, like 50 words or less, and then we'll just do a quick, the last thing I want to touch on. Uh, Josh Brolin is Thanos. Not on the screen very long, but come off sufficiently menacing to you? Yep, he played a good, he played a good emperor. You know, if Rodan the Accusion was Darth Vader and the Empire Strikes Back, uh, Thanos played a played this perfectly serviceable uh, emperor. All right. Now, I want to ask real briefly about what you feel going forward these movies are going to try and do. Because here's my thought, and actually, some of this was brought up to me by Jeff Harris when we were talking uh, prior to the 411 Ground and Pound show on, Friday, on Sunday. Thor 3 winds up probably with Loki pretending to be Odin, giving Thanos the Tesseract, like he agreed to do in the Avengers. It just took him a little longer, so please don't kill me. And he can, and since the Tesseract teleports you, he can then use that to collect the other stones relatively easily. And I imagine that the next Guardians movie is going to be a lot of Thanos collecting the stones and then maybe opposing him where he's kind of in the background as far as that goes. Maybe the Collector is front and center and Thanos winds up taking them from him. But we get that and then we get, that leads us into him coming to Earth because opposing humans is court death. And we get a big crossover with Guardians and the Avengers in uh, trying to stop Thanos. I imagine that's what's on the immediate horizon. What do you feel? 
Yeah, I feel, um, Gavin and I talked about this last night. Um, I'm thinking that the Avengers will, you know, will have its own separate story, but there's probably going to be an Infinity Gauntlet movie, and it's going to have both the cast of the Avengers and the cast of Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's going to be like one big super movie uh, if they can, you know, if they can get it all done. Um, I had thought at one point, you know, Avengers three was going to be the Infinity Gauntlet, but I feel like it's going to be its own separate movie, and like the third Avengers movie will be World War Hulk or something like that. Um, I have a, I have a thought and I think I figured out who, so they can get him into the movie and, 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 and be somewhat true to the comic. I think Peter Quill's dad's going to end up being Adam Warlock. That's my guess. Entirely possible. Or yeah. they could do a big screw you to uh, the X-Men and it could be Corsair. Uh, that's another possibility. I just I know I Adam War- I know much. Adam Warlock's the one that that ultimately ends up with the Infinity Gauntlet. So I figured that's a good way to bring him in. Um, you know, he he's Quill's dad, and now you have that character there to uh, to take the Infinity Gauntlet from Thanos uh, at the conclusion of the movie. So there's just some ideas that are out there. But yeah, it looks looks that's. I don't think the next movie is going to be entirely focused on Thanos and the uh, the Infinity Quest. I think there's going to be a wholly separate thing going on, and a subplot is going to be Thanos and the Infinity Quest, because uh, an Infinity Quest movie doesn't really work very well. It worked fine as a comic book, uh, like many things do, but as a full-length feature motion picture, nobody's going to want to watch Thanos running around the universe collecting stones. I would, but I also know that Thanos is an interesting character that sadly we won't be able to get into until later. I mean, look... What we're going to wind up doing is defeating Thanos, and then at some point down the line we'll get the character story for him, as opposed to the other way around, which I'm not opposed right. to. But I think he's an interesting I, character. I do think the next one's going to have to feature Thanos more. He probably won't be the main villain. Um, I think we're going to get an introduction to the Skrulls. Um, you know, I think there's going to be there's, there's going to have to be more of the Kree in the next movie. Um, my question is do they use the Guardians of the Galaxy to introduce the Inhumans? Which would not be the worst thing in the world. I mean, as a fanboy, I really want to see Black Bolt and Thanos throw down. Because that's just... Mm -hmm. It's so awesome. But I wouldn't be shocked if they went that route either. That would be a good... Because the Inhumans are pretty awesome, too. Yeah. Alright. So, you and I both loved this movie. I've seen it twice. There's a chance I might see it again. Uh, any closing thoughts? 50 words or less. I am Groot. <laughs> exclusively those three, exclusively in that order. Yep, I am Groot. All right. Mark and I both highly recommend this movie. I recommend you see it before next week, and here's why. I fully anticipate that when the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie bombs, and it will, because it's awful, all of the uh, teenage Michael Bay fanboys are going to start hating Guardians of the Galaxy just kind of because, and we'll get the whole, it wasn't that good line of logic, that we'll get the backlash from the people who think Michael Bay is God. And he puts the green ones with the red ones, but you can't have the blue ones with the green ones. I dork glass. That's my job, and how I make movies. 
Red one's over here, green one's over here. <laughs> yeah, so, all right. Uh, coming up, there will be no review for the Turtles movie because neither of us want to see it. Uh, we're on a bit of a time crunch, so I'm going to very briefly do plugs. Uh, check out thecasualheroes.com, WrestleCast, Mark's over there. The Whiskey Rebellion, every Tuesday. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with the review of The Expendables 3 here. My stuff, be sure to check out every Friday. Everyone loves a bad guy. Bobby Heenan's up this week. I took last week off because I was busy and didn't feel very good. And the 411 Ground and Pound radio show every single Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern, live call-in show. This week we'll be previewing Ryan Bader versus Ovin St. Prue. Smell the apathy. It's <laughs> on free TV, so I can't even say no buys. All right, so for... Mark Radlich, he is Groot, or so it would seem. Your son now has to dress up as a raccoon and ride around on your shoulder. <laughs> I'm Robert Winfrey, reminding you all to be well, be safe, and behave. I can't stop this feeling deep inside of me. Girl, you just don't realize what you do to me When you hold me in your arms so tight You let me know everything's alright the good love when we're all alone keep it up girl yeah you turn me on